Okay, so today we have the pleasure of speaking with Lomit Patel. Uh, if you don't mind, Lomit, uh, just introducing yourself and telling us a bit more about your book, uh, Lean AI. Sure. First of all, um, thanks for having me, Lewis and, and Faz. Excited to be on this podcast. And uh, just to introduce myself, my name is Lomit Patel. I am Senior Vice President of Growth at a, at a startup in Silicon Valley called Together Labs. And um, Together Labs is primarily a, a company where we've um, created the metaverse. Um, the one that's most well known right now is MView, which is one of the, um, the top grossing um gaming apps in, in the app store. Uh, so my responsibility is all around all our user acquisition, retention, and monetization efforts. And that's primarily what I've done in my career. Uh, I've been working for a number of different startups, and uh, my role has always been around growth. So generally join companies pretty early, usually when they raise uh, like Series A or Series B, and then coming in and trying to sort of help identify what's going to be the growth engine for the company to go and acquire customers, um, make revenue, and, and figure out what the right business model is to, to monetize those users. Outside of um, growth, uh, I've also written a book uh, that's become pre pretty famous uh, called Lean AI, which is part of the Eric Ries, the Lean Startup series. So um, super excited to talk a little bit more about that today as well. Well, thank you for that introduction, Lomit. Since you've written a book called The Lean Startup, I'm assuming you've spent some time at startup companies. Um, can you give us a little bit of background about your experience in these companies? Yeah, so what I would say is um, I'm actually from the UK, so I, you know, I grew up in London. And uh, when I was growing up, what fascinated me was just learning about all these companies like Microsoft and Yahoo. And uh, and I'm talking like the 90s at this stage, right, where where there, there wasn't a lot of like dot-com stuff that was happening in the UK. So I was, I was really fascinated just reading about how these companies were just coming up and overnight, overnight being kind of a relative term, but in a short amount of time that they were able to sort of turn into these gigantic businesses. So, so that, that was something that I was always curious about. And um, and then the whole area around uh, digital and online marketing, which was something you know I graduated with a marketing major from from uni, and um, you know that that was something that I was interested, in, but there wasn't a lot of that that was happening. So what what I had decided to do was you know try to come to the states and go to grad school here, and um, and that would give me an opportunity to at least uh, put myself in the environment where a lot of these things were sort of happening and. Coming here and 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 once once I graduated, I kind of had a single focus goal. I kind of knew what I wanted to do at the end. I wouldn't say it was a linear journey getting there, but 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 it was ultimately you know it's always good to know where you're going and, and try to figure out the path yeah, to, to get there. What I would say is, if anybody's really interested in, in working with startups, primarily Silicon Valley is pretty much where you know, all of these startups are happening. So it, it's like you got to try and figure out a way to make it to San Francisco, and and as long as you you kind of hear, for the most part, you know, it's a series of luck, but it's also, you know, hard work, grit and determination to, to just hustle and, and you'll be able to find some opportunity to get onto a startup. And, you know, I fortunately have ended up working pretty early with a number of different startups. And uh, what I found, at least for me, that was fascinating is that in startups, for the most part, you know, it doesn't matter if you're young or not. They're, they're just looking for people who are passionate about the business that they're trying to build. As long as you can bring some passion to it and and obviously, uh, you know, some smarts, nobody really knows if a business is going to succeed or not because the percentage 
of failure rate on, on any startup is 95%. So, you know, yeah. as long as you're willing to come in and play your part and, and be willing to roll up your sleeves and, and take on more responsibility than, than you initially were sort of brought in for, you could learn a lot. And, and that's, for me, what was the most exciting thing about working in startups because you know from the outside in it looked great like how these companies growing but once you kind of get in there you realize it's it's just a chaos right it's not (laughs) like you know that anybody really knows what they're doing but what they do know is where they want to go right and and the great thing about being a venture-backed startup is that you know there's more pressure right That, that you need to grow as quickly as possible and and so in order to do that you know, what I would say is the big difference in culture, at least when I came in, in a, you know, the culture here is a culture of taking risks. And so you, you're actually encouraged to take a lot of risks. You're encouraged to try a lot of things and try to, to sort of follow the process of test, learn and iterate, which is kind of the genesis of, it, of the Lean Startup philosophy. And so, you know, nobody cares about the nine out of 10 bets that you try that don't work. What they care about is that one bet that works. And is that the one that's going to make a material difference to take the business to the next level, the next step? And so that whole mindset and Tesla and Iterate philosophy kind of got ingrained from a really early um, part of my career. And so... It's great because there's less pressure on trying to be perfect out of the gate. It's really about, you know, just just trying to help figure things out. I mean, that's what I would say that I found different, at least when I was initially, you know, uh, in the UK. It was it was more of a conservative approach to, to doing businesses. It was more about, you know, you had to have a track record. You had to have experience before you even kind of got the opportunity in, in the US. It was more about... Nobody here really knows what they're doing for the most part, you know, but everybody knows where they want to go. And, you know, the more people we can get in that that are super hungry and and can bring some value, you know, get on board. And as long as you demonstrate that you're working hard and, and, and you're helping to solve the bigger problems, you can see yourself being given a lot more responsibility. And, and that ultimately helps you kind of grow your career at a much faster trajectory than sort of being on the conservative path to to, to learning and growing in bigger businesses. Yeah, of course, it's, it's essentially this whole uh, American dream culture, right, that, that Silicon Valley kind of embodies. Yeah, what I would say, um, yeah, coming People here... People are happy to take risks. Yeah, yeah, I had the American dream too. I mean, I mean... I would sort of embody one of those examples of somebody who came here literally like with nothing, you know, (laughs) but a dream. And and what I would say is the American dream, you know, for the most part, you know, it's not like it's easy, but if you do work hard and you you continue to, um, to, to grind and and stick it out, you can definitely see light at the end of the tunnel a lot faster than you could in, 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 some other countries because ultimately what people don't realize as much is the u.s economy is based on consumer spending you know 70 yeah. of the economy so everybody here for the most part that's grown up here loves to spend money so you know <laughs> if you can come up with the right product you can catch fire a lot quicker and and, and obviously there's like over 300 million people here so you know it's, it, it doesn't take a lot to become successful if you can bring if you can if, if you can get to you know um, solving a problem that some that that somebody has, and and then finding the right product or solution, you know, yeah. you'll be yeah. able to find um, a market for that pretty quickly. And out, out of interest, how did the first few startups go? Were they were they successful? Were they in that ninety percent or in the ten percent? 
<clears throat> good question. You know, uh, <laughs> so, uh, the, the the initial one that I joined, um, it was called People PC, but but that one um, was a dial-up internet dial-up service. Um, by the time I, I joined them, um, they had got acquired by a, a bigger uh, competitor called. Um, Earthlink. So, you know, I, I was more there kind of on the, on the tail end of a company that already had kind of had some kind of exit. But, but, and so there, you know, the learning there was really around having, you know, uh, kind of being like a young kid and, and you're getting to spend millions of dollars a month. Imagine that. <laughs> it's like, wow, this is great, you know. And so, you know, you know a lot of like, you know, paid user acquisition, I really got to learn a lot of that there. Um, after that, I joined. After that, you know, I, I really got into like wanting to join startups a lot early. And, and, and the next one after that I joined was a company called Trusted ID, which is all around identity theft protection. Um, there, ultimately, we ended up getting acquired by a bigger company called um, Equifax. Oh, nice. So it didn't look like things were going well at times. But, but, but ultimately, you know, I think with any startup, if you continue to, to provide value and you continue continue to, uh, to show trajectory and growth, ultimately a, a bigger company is going to start finding value in that, right? Yeah, and, and so that was great. Great. Uh, after that, I, you know, I joined a company that I think a lot of people might be familiar with called Roku, which is the, is the streaming device company. I joined that one super early. I was um, employee number like twenty or something, but I was like the first person brought in to to, to head up growth. Yeah. And, and again, you know, like, you know, getting opportunities to do that, you know, it only sort of happens like in Silicon Valley where, you know, yeah, where course, founders yeah. are going to take take chances on people, right? You know, it, it's harder to have that. It's not like I had connections or contacts getting that job. But uh, but that was a great job and, you know, learned a lot there. And obviously Roku went on to become an IPO and, and it's done really well. And, Sounds like there's been a lot of successes. There. What I would say is, Success is it, it, it's like anything, you know. When you when you kind of connect the dots, looking back, you think, "Wow, that 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 really did turn out well." But in the moment, you never really know, right? Awesome. And, and so, you know, what I would encourage anyone to do is, is 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 always take the long view on whatever you're doing, uh, rather than sort of looking taking a short because because there's shortcuts you can take, but but ultimately, you know, the businesses and the startups that I work for and, and the founders that have ended up becoming successful have always been uh, stubbornly focused on, 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 on what their vision was for the business, primarily focused on solving one particular problem rather than trying to spread themselves yeah. thin and try to, you know, like, like, you know, try to chase whatever, you know, uh, customers might be saying, hey, I'd love to have this feature, that feature, whatever, but ultimately try to keep things simplified as much as possible and and continue to sort of create a product that ultimately is able to get the right types of users that will end up becoming your evangelists and your fan base, right? And then and you yeah, can really exactly. build on that with, with virality and, and word of mouth. Okay. Um, before we sort of delve more into AI and, and that aspect of it, do you mind just describing or defining AI, machine learning, and deep learning and sort of what are the misconceptions or what are the differences between the three of them? Yeah, so um, I always like to look at things in simplistic terms. So for me, when I look at AI, uh, primarily, it's not robots coming and taking over the world. Uh, it, it's more around, you know, how can you get like a machine primarily uh, to think and act like a human, right? 
and yeah. and, and and generally, you know, uh, we as humans, we don't give ourselves enough credit. But but the reality is, any technology and all these great things we see around us, it, it was actually born out of humans coming up with these ideas, not machines, right? So you know, the, the human intelligence is amazing, you know. But but what happens is, in this day and age, there's so much data that exists around all these different businesses and, and, and products and services that, you know, as, as a human, to process a lot of that data just takes a lot of effort. And that's where machines can come in because machines primarily process data, build algorithms ultimately, which, which are ways to process data to surface insights and, and to help you as a human figure out what's the right uh, actions you want to take based on those insights. Okay, yeah. Um, it's funny because the the word artificial intelligence has actually been around since 1955. I think John McCarthy came up with it, in, uh, who was an American computer scientist. Why do you think it's taken so many years for it to really become the mainstream and become something that a lot of people know of or have heard of today anyway? Yeah, that's a good question. You know, a, lo- a lot of these things have kind of been on the fringes historically right same thing with the internet um what i uh believe the reason why ai is a lot more mainstream now primarily one is to just do with the um the fact that the computing power available now is is so much greater than it was previously so even though that there were ideas around ai to really apply it in practice was was super hard because just imagine how many mainframe computers you would have had to build, right? And, but now it's like, you know, uh, as an example, like on your phone, you got so much more power on, on this little device than, 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 you, than you had, you know, trying to launch the first man into space in, in, in yeah, 1960s or whatever it was. And so, you know, computing power is, is so much better. That enables you to really process data a lot faster. The internet has obviously transformed the, the way that new businesses are being created. Created. Like in, in the old days, it was businesses could work at a different pace, but now everything is the expectations are so much different. People want real time information. People want great service now, not tomorrow, or not not in five minutes. To, to try and meet all of these demands, you need to you need to lift your game, and 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 that's why you know I feel you know that a lot of these um, uh, initially like startups, but now a lot of companies have really. Ad- you know, embraced AI because it ultimately it's becoming a competitive advantage, and 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 generally what you find is is that initially AI was like a competitive advantage, but now it's kind of a mainstay expectation. If companies don't even have AI, yeah, they're not going to be able to even survive and, and thrive competing with companies that do. So it's it's been embraced at a much faster rate. Yeah, something I'd like to add as well, which is just the availability of data. It's something that we haven't really, like historically, it's not really been available. Now that everything is digitalized, we, we just have access to data on essentially anything and everything. And and given that availability, it allows us to use things like machine learning to gain, gain those extra insights and gain that competitive edge. Yeah. And and, and, and the other thing that I would add is that AI is, is, is just kind of like a technology or a tool. But brings it value is really identifying the right use cases and where to apply it, and and that's been you know something that previously there were these lofty goals around hey how are we going to use AI to solve world problems and maybe being a little bit facetious, but but the idea is you know um, 
it takes a lot longer to see that value, right? But now a lot of businesses are able to take AI and really apply it into business practices. So when you apply it in business practice, you're able to see that the impact pretty quickly as long as you identify, you know, what type of use cases you want to solve. And, and as you start solving more use cases and start seeing those early wins, it enables more and more businesses to want to embrace and, and apply to more and more different areas. That's what I feel has, has, has been sort of a big difference because now more companies, because they've started to see the, the true impact on the bottom line, because ultimately all businesses, it's about how is AI going to either help you make money or save money, right? And, and, and it's been applied yeah. to those those areas that more and more companies are investing more and more resources into this now. Yeah, I can agree more. Um, I'd like to get on to, uh, on to your book a little bit more. Um, so your book talks mainly about um, customer acquisition and, and you coined this term um, lean AI and um, customer acquisition 3.0. So I was hoping you could like explain to our listeners the what the old method of customer acquisition is and and what's so different about about what you call customer acquisition 3.0 yes so um so primarily uh you know my whole focus in my career has been around growth so you know that primarily involves you know how do you acquire customers how do you uh, retain those customers and how do you monetize those are kind of the three big areas that i always focus on in, in different companies and Focusing on that first area of acquiring customers, that's always a huge challenge for any company, especially a startup when you've got low brand awareness, nobody really knows who you are, and, and, and you literally are trying to sort of, you know, sort of be the new kid on the block, trying to come in and sort of, you know, disrupt the neighborhood, so to speak. Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. and so, um, you know, with Lead AI, um, it, it, and a lot of this is, you know, I've been fortunate to have been able to apply this in practice and see it work, but but generally, you know, um, customer acquisition 1.0 and 2.0 is generally 1.0 for the most part uh, is where people were running a bunch of ads, but they didn't really have a lot of data to really figure out what was working and what wasn't working. And, and that's more sort of pushed into the realm of like offline marketing where you do a lot of fuzzy math and you, and you try to sort of justify, this, you know, that this okay, is working yeah. or not. Um, 2.0 is really where a lot of digital marketing came into play. And, and, and the great thing with digital marketing is there's some form of attribution and tracking that's there, right? It, and and for the most part, you kind of trust in people to try and, you know, work for different partners like Google and Facebook or whatever. And, and a lot of these companies have made investments into applying AI in, into their solutions. So you're kind of given kind of spending money with them, but you kind of trust in them to sort of, Make you know make yeah. all the decisions about where you know who you should be targeting, how much you should be spending, and and, and all that kind of stuff. Three point for me is where you kind of take that control, put it back into your hands, where you ultimately are creating a solution where 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 you kind of sit in between you and all of these different places where you could potentially spend your money to acquire customers, but you're letting your machine kind of. Kind, Kind of let all these different partners kind of compete in real time because because all of all all of these companies where you spend money now on digital, for the most part are like exchanges. It's kind of like the stock market where things have sort of been determined in real time, like how much you should be paying for an impression or a click or a user or who you want to target. 
And and so if you have your own system, your system's able to pretty much kind of be looking out for yourself rather than, you know, uh, and, it, and it knows how the different partners are, are doing in real time. And it's pretty much allocated, hey, I should spend more here on Facebook, for example, because there's less competition right now and the costs have come down. And, and, and once that starts getting more uh, expensive, then it naturally just shifts the budget and starts spending more on Google or, or Apple Search or any other partner. But, but the big difference between 3.0 and 2.0 is that you kind of let the machine make all of these decisions and you're building algorithms to really help you to based on what your goals are. So for most people, when it comes to like, customer acquisition, it's around the cost to acquire a customer. So you have like a customer acquisition cost and you generally are looking at like what's the return on ad spend, the ROAS and, and, or what the return on investment is. And as long as you're pretty clear on what those goals are and you sort of input that to the machine, the machine is able to kind of look at all of these different places where you're spending and try to optimize towards those goals that you have. So in 3.0, instead of having like humans sort of trying to figure out you know, downloading data, making decisions. Hey, this isn't working as well on Google. You're kind of having a machine doing this all in real time and orchestrating all of these campaigns, helping you to pretty much figure out who's the right user to target with the right message at the right time that's going to ultimately engage the highest and retain the highest and drive the highest lifetime value for your your business. To flip it another way, just think of the um, Tom and his self-driving car. So now 3.0 is where you literally sit in the car, you're telling the navigation where you want to go, you're sitting back, having your coffee or whatever, and you're letting the car literally figure out, based on traffic, how to get you to your destination versus you know where you're still trying to drive the car yourself, where you're trying to use cruise control as part of the, the way to get there. It's still time and effort. That's 2.0. 3.0 is where you just tell the tell the car get me to that yeah and i trust you that you'll get me there okay so um if you're using ai um to help acquire more customers and to essentially maximize and accelerate your revenue growth what sort of kpis would you suggest looking at to help decide uh what is successful and what isn't yeah so generally um you know the best KPIs that, uh, that that I would recommend, and then these are these are universally applied across all different startups. Here, one is the customer acquisition costs. So, how much does it cost to acquire a customer? For example, if you're spending a hundred dollars to get twenty customers, then then your cost to acquire a customer is five dollars. The the other one that that's universally used is the return on ad spend or or the return on investment. And primarily, the way to look at that is if you if you spend in a hundred dollars or a hundred pounds and you get in fifty pounds back, then your return on ad spend is is fifty percent. And and the third one, especially if you do a lot of like user paid user acquisition, you want to kind of look at your payback period. Like how long does it take? Like you know how much money you're spending, and and to recoup that money back. And and, and that those time frames tend to vary based on different verticals. But the way to think of that is. Um, the quicker you can recoup the money that, that you spend on acquiring customers, the more the quicker you can recycle that money and put it yeah. back into growth. And and yeah, so you know that 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 yeah. becomes a self fulfilling loop where you know the quicker you can bring cash back into the business, the quicker you can apply it back into growth. Yeah, I think in your book you you call it the flywheel effect, which is a good 
way of sort of looking at it that it's almost like a snowball and it just gets bigger and bigger and the more data you then collect the more insight you can make and the more informative the AI is and it sort of evolves and gets better and better and better so I think that's a good good metric to to follow for sure yeah actually one thing that I would that I would also put out there is especially when it comes to AI, getting data is a true value, right? Because without yeah. data, you're not going to be able to make smarter decisions. But it's not just getting data. It's to what I think Fazan mentioned earlier. It's making sure that you're getting a consistent yeah. flow of data coming in. You want to get consistent flow of data coming in. So then the machine is able to keep reacting to, to, the, new, to the latest and recent data, and be able to like alter the algorithm to to be able to react to real time data. Where companies sort of trip up is companies don't mind you know losing money early on because they want to try to grow as quickly as possible. Yeah. Part of growing is trying to cry all this data because once you get the data, that sort of becomes your your competitive advantage because then you can work with that data. And so, in order to try and apply that flywheel that I talk about, you know. Companies, for example, you know, if you know your cost to acquire a customer is like 20 pounds, companies are willing to spend more than 20 pounds, even though they're going to lose money early on, just to get the data and, and, and take the longer view where we'll lose money for a couple of years, but we'll know we'll be able to grow a massive following, create a bigger footprint into the market, and, and then we'll be able to monetize those users over time. Good examples of those are like what is this different social network like Facebook, uh, um, Snapchat, TikTok. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I mean, I mean, all. I mean, all of them have lost buckets load of money trying to get to that growth. But eventually, they, then they pivot over to like now how are we going to monetize? So, so all this on, data? on the topic of data, um, I'm interested to hear your uh, thoughts on 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 the accuracy of data and how important that is. Because at Flow Plus, we actually um, we actually use some artificial intelligence as well. Um, we analyze customer feedback to try and gain insights into uh, into companies and try and identify improvement opportunities. Um, so we use some artificial intelligence to um, to just gain insights from the actual reviews themselves. And one of the things that we often find is um, obviously this is raw customer data, and and the accuracy of it sometimes isn't isn't excellent. Um, and to be fair, talking to other people in other businesses, a lot of people have reservations when it comes to data and the accuracy of it. Um, I want to know your thoughts on how important it is, especially at the start of a uh, for a startup, on 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 trying to get accurate data versus trying to just get lots of data. Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, what I would say is is that it kind of depends on the vertical. An example being like like a healthcare company. And let's just take, you know, because all of us are kind of living through this right now with, with, with all of these like clinical trials that happen around these different vaccinations to, you know, for the most part, with, you know, with, with something like that where somebody's life is on the line, you want to try yeah. to get data that's, that's more accurate, right? Um, but having said that, I mean, even when you look at these vaccinations that went through clinical trials, none of them were at 100%, right? I mean, I mean because the thing is, if you're looking for complete, perfection before you make any decisions or, or, or take any action, you're going to be waiting a long time. And generally, um, what I have found and, and have seen is generally getting some form of accuracy in the realm of around 70% is good enough because ultimately you're not looking for perfection, you're looking for direction. Because yeah, you want to keep, because what happens is you want to continue to keep iterating based on 
whatever data you're getting and sort of build up your accuracy over time. But most companies, just with the, the environment that we li live and work in right now, things can change like in a moment, right? So you don't want to be sort of sitting too long on, on the sidelines. Yeah, exactly. And so uh, the rule of thumb is generally like, you know, like like 70% plus is good. But yeah. but but if you're like a really early stage startup and you don't have a lot of data, sometimes you, you, you're willing to work with less than that. Right and, and 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 sort of you know build up your tolerance over time. Yeah, I mean I can agree more. Advice I would normally give is just start getting the data first and get as much as you can, and and then move from there. Often you can do cleaning after after you've got the data as well to improve your accuracy, especially if you can if you can get a better understanding of the data you have. Um, but I think it's always best to just get as much data as possible, and and then and then see what you can work with. Yeah, and and, and one thing that I would add to that is gathering data is really important too in terms of like, you know, making sure that, that, that you set the right sort of um, tracking in place um, so that, you know, the data that you end up getting um, is, is, is clean enough that you're able to use it, right? And, 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 and that it isn't like completely like messed up and, and, and it isn't like something that is really hard to sort of go back and, and try to make some meaning out of it. So, you know, to what you guys have probably doing as well where you know you've got to set the right systems up in place for yeah. that data so on, on the on the topic of hurdles like so ai is now getting quite big but we so i i read a um a study in the wall street journal that said that 45 percent of businesses felt they didn't know enough about ai and felt unprepared and even from my from my past, I used to work at Darktrace, which is a, a leading cybersecurity company that uses artificial intelligence. Um, and whenever we spoke to um, some smaller companies, the, the direction from our marketing teams and our sales teams was to to dial back the AI because essentially some people were scared of it. Um, like some of the smaller companies, they they'd get put off by by AI. It's, it's a bit too complicated. It's too big for them. It wasn't necessary. Um. Why? Do, so essentially, why? Why do you think that is? Why do you think there is still hesitancy around AI, given that we now know its power and we and we know how good it can be, and and how do we tackle that? It's it's a good question. You know, it's a big question. It's, I a, know, big, but... it's a big question. Um, <laughs> what I will start by saying is that it, it's all about education, and 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 one of the one of the misconceptions that maybe a lot of us have that that are closer to AI and kind of live and breathe it, is, is to assume that people that we talk to do the same thing and, and they don't, right? Part of it is, is is sort of taking more of an empathetic approach where you try to put yourself in their shoes. Generally, people that know about AI and, 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 and have been sort of involved in it know all the positives about what it can do. But, but a lot of people that haven't generally lack of a better word, again, some fake news from other places or other sources or opinions from friends who probably don't even work in AI and, and, and are hearing the counter reasons for not doing this, right? So that's why I, um, you know, my recommendation has always been, and, and, and trust me, the, the, the hurdles you're talking about, all companies have these hurdles internally yeah. too. It's not just like, you know, having wise consultants like yourselves coming in and <laughs> try to internally you're having these battles because because you've got a lot of people that generally come from a different era or, or uh, you know a different mindset, and so the best way to 
at least for me and my recommendation is always try to sort of start with some simple use cases that don't cost a lot of money for a company to try or test. And it doesn't potentially put the company at a huge risk if it doesn't work. And so then the conversation isn't really talking about AI because you don't want to use the word AI to people who don't really know about AI. It's more about, yeah. you know, you know, it's, it's, it's more around a test. It's, it's about trying to identify ways to bring efficiency to the business. And, and so, it's, so focus on things that people can relate to, which is how, how can we get more efficient at saving money or, or making money or improving processes, right? Essentially, being exactly, lean. and and so lean's always always a great word, right? Yeah, <laughs> and you know it's it's kind of like, um, and I'm not sure if this happened to you guys, kind of growing up, but generally, like you know, parents want they want to try to get you to eat something that isn't that is necessarily healthy, and you don't want to eat it. They're not going to tell you. They might try to blend it into something, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. exactly. So, yeah, so it's exactly. kind of like that. You want you know, um, like like there's a word here in Silicon Valley, the Trojan horse, right? The idea is, you know, you sort of approach it or you present it where it's kind of dumbed down to a certain extent, but but it's sort of focused more on, 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 on solving a problem that most businesses relate to, which is all around, you know, improving processes, saving money or, or, or making yeah. money, rather than talking about all the technology aspects of how you're going to do it. Yeah. To be fair, it can be quite hard to do sometimes when you are quite involved in the technology. You can easily get quite excited about how you've done it instead of just the results. And it's often the results that are important to a CEO of a business. At the end of the day, they don't really care how you've done it and how impressive the the algorithm that you've used is really. Yeah, does. it's kind of like even if you go to a restaurant, I mean, you might have some favorite meals that you order, but do you really want to know how to make it, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I've got another question for you. So you've you we've we've spoken a bit about moving from uh like customer acquisition two point to three point and I've assumed I'm assuming that you've been a part of a transformation like this in a business. Yeah. So what kind of results do you see in the difference in the KPIs that we've talked about? Like what uh, how how much lean are we are we are we are we making businesses using this AI? Yeah, so you know, I mean, at a high level, what I've found is that you can get significant improvements in your business. It's not going to happen like you know, overnight, but generally with AI, it takes realistically four four to six weeks for things to really start to sort of trend. And and if you look if you if you look at results over like two to three months, you'll see significant improvements. Improvements for us, you know, our cost to acquire our customer, we've seen that go down over three to four X, you know. Yeah. Really? And, you know, our return on investment or ROAS, we've consequently seen that go up, you know, over like four to five X. And, and, and the other part that I was talking about, payback periods, you know, we've seen previously where it would take us over six months to recoup money back now you know we're able to do that literally like 30 to 40 days so that makes wow. a huge material shift but but the benefit of of ai is because everything's so fluid right so you know you generally hit like a flat line after a while but but the great thing with ai is you know as you continue to add more and more partners you're able to see that trajectory keep improving you know uh, so it's not just it's not just a step change. It's not it's, just a step change. It's a continuous change. Yeah, and 
And that's where, you know, once you do that, uh, you know, you kind of move away from like trying to convince people of the value. Then the conversation becomes around how can we do more of this? So the idea is like you, like you started off for, for acquiring customers, but then you can apply it to uh, how can you better engage and retain customers? How do you get customers to spend more money with you? And, you know, good examples of those is recommendation engines like Amazon does, right? Or Netflix does where they're always recommending, hey, based on what you're viewing, you probably like these other titles. Or even when you like finish watching something they already start the next one that they think you might be more interested in but but all, all, all of these recommendations it's a big part of business right but all of that's really um, powered by ai ai yeah. in the background um another thing like in, in in the world of gaming and subscription businesses is you know um churn rates or or when customers are going to leave and, and and there's a lot of predictions going on that that, that we work with and, and a lot of other companies where you kind of observing user behavior and, and, and you kind of know what an ideal user journey is and so if users aren't demonstrating certain behaviors and actions then you're scoring a system in the in the background like hey this person could be at a high risk of leaving based on this behavior or this person is engaging so so much maybe we should try to you know uh do more cross-sell and upsell opportunities to to try and get more revenue out of them so all of these things are being powered in the background by by ai as well so, so what what companies do you think are really pushing the boundaries and sort of taking AI to the next level? And you could say that the people that everyone are following. So in Lean, everyone looks to Toyota and thinks that Toyota are the best in class for Lean. For AI, who do you think would be the equivalent of Toyota? Yeah, so with AI, you know, uh, in terms of looking at the titans in the industry that are really doing this well... Um, I think the best way to judge are companies that have done it well over time and continue to push the envelope. And so in, 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 in that bracket, I, w- I would put Amazon pretty high up, right? Oh, yeah, so for e-commerce, I mean, I mean, they literally were gathering so much data in the early days. But, but the vision that um, Jeff Bezos always had was to really figure out a way to get smarter around using that data. And, and being as obsessed about the customer as possible. And, you know, they, they clearly have done a f- phenomenal job, not only around recommendations, cross-sell, upsell, but also identifying new verticals that Amazon initially started with books, but obviously it's more than books now. But all of that really came from applying AI to really identify what what are the different verticals that, we, that you can go into. And, and, and when you think of a loyalty program, you know, Amazon Prime is the ultimate loyalty program, right? Because ultimately you're paying into being part of a club where you're getting some benefits, but the benefits that Amazon is getting is really getting to yeah. see all of this user behavior in terms of how are these super users behaving and, and kind of using that oh, to yeah, really come up and, and, and expand the offerings that they're doing. Netflix obviously has done a phenomenal job on the entertainment side. In the early days, it was all about you know DVDs by by mail, but but the bigger vision was to really figure out you know um, how to get into the streaming business. And you know with streaming, unlike DVD by mail, you know people are waiting for you know whatever movies they wanted. But but the CEO of, of um, Netflix um, knew that when it comes to stream, people's time and attention levels are so low, right? And so yeah. you need to really be able to get smarter around the recommendations that, that, that you provide so you continue to keep people engaged in the service. 
and you know you know they've done a phenomenal job on on the type of recommendations but not only not only the recommendations that they provide uh you know different subscribers but also using that data with ai to come up with new content that's the thing that people don't realize that that netflix has invested a ton of money in, in creating new content and a lot of their original content has become successful because it's really used user insights to really determine you know what direction they want to go and the type of content they want to create there's a lot more companies now that that, that are just really you know um, super focused on different areas of AI and and that's going to you know that that's only going to help make, you know make the adoption of AI that falls into so many different verticals and areas you know proliferate at a much faster rate too fair. No, I can I can agree more. I think I think the the future will have a a lot of AI in it. Um, and I think for any any startup looking to get into into artificial intelligence and be more lean, um, I would definitely recommend uh Lomit's book here called Lean AI. Thank you so much, Lomit, for uh, for spending some time with us and and giving us some insights into into your book and 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 how to use AI as a lean startup. Thanks for having me, guys. It's, it's been great chatting with you, Lewis and Faz.